Yeah. Hey Charlie, it's JS upstairs. We're due to fly WKTI later on today. Today I'm going to be flying one of our Diamond uh, DA62s, which is a delightful airplane to fly. What really should be like riding a bicycle. Uh, I'll come down shortly and uh, chat with the team. That's great. I first flew it at age 10 in a Fournier RF4 motorized glider. I can only best describe the experience as magical. Just this notion of moving in three dimensions and looking down on the world and being among the clouds really just filled me with elation. That passion, that, that sensation drew me to flying and still sustains me to a degree to this day. I still find it magical. And I've spent the better part of 36 years flying professionally, mostly for the Royal Air Force and now with DA Aviation Limited, and I still enjoy it. So guys, we've got the Humber Bridge on the right in our two o'clock. We're going to turn to the right, we'll fly down... To the, the sights you get as a pilot are out of this world. They're spectacular, and I see sunrises and sunsets that you wouldn't believe. Yeah, auto feather is armed. There's 40%. All looks good, all green, nothing flashing at me. That's John Sullivan. Head of Operations at one of our customers, DEA Aviation Limited. You can probably tell, but John loves flying. It's a passion of his, both personally and professionally. Something you'll come to know a little bit more about over the next half hour. Welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. In this two-part series, John and his colleagues will help us understand what airborne ISR is, why consistent and reliable satellite communications are essential in ensuring an aviation mission is a success, and why it's much more than just taking beautiful pictures from up high in the sky. It's also about gathering the right intelligence and ultimately saving lives, both for those at sea and for those on the ground. But for the moment, I want to stay with John, mid-air, mid-conversation, and get to know him a little bit better. My parents bought me a, uh, a flight in a, uh, a little light aircraft for my 10th birthday, and, and that was it. I was, I was absolutely hooked from that moment onwards. I, I remember rushing into school the next day and just couldn't tell enough people about what an amazing experience that was. And that shaped and focused everything I did from that moment onwards. I then had a burning desire to be not just a pilot, but I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force. Um, and that enthusiasm and, and determination and focus carried me through the selection procedure successfully, so I got my chance. You know, you didn't get to be on a frontline fast jet squadron unless you loved aviation, whether you were competent, whether you, you were capable, uh, and, and you were determined to look after the teammates around you. Morning guys, just to run through uh, morning brief. Teamwork morning, is, is actually 70. probably the abiding feature of flying in that sort of environment. And that's something I recognise here in DEA Aviation as well. Uh, weather today, uh, UK weather, it's looking to be dry, you know, it, this is a whole team effort. It's not about the pilot, it's not about uh, any one part of the puzzle. It's about bringing all those elements of the puzzle together. Good morning, DEA. Andrew Brett speaking. How may I help? Having engineers that you respect and rely upon, supported by highly trained ground personnel with a systems team that can integrate our sensors. Okay, that's us. All done. Who have to work very closely together with mutual respect and understanding to deliver that you know, best-in-class output to our, our, our customers. 
Let's just hit pause on John for a moment. As he mentioned, this being a whole team effort, I'd like to introduce you to one of his colleagues, Dickie Patunas. Thanks for coming over, Andre. Aircraft's in for her phase four before she gets up on jacks. I joined uh, DEA in 2015. So I've been very fortunate in my career. Um, the first part of it was 26 years in the Royal Air Force. In that time, I flew the Jaguar. I was a member of the Red Arrows and I was a Eurofighter Typhoon squadron commander. Are you happy with the new radome you've installed? Yeah, the blister looks huge, doesn't it? It's yeah. amazing, it doesn't really affect the performance. I've also had a number of headquarters roles and in the Ministry of Defence, so I've done strategic planning. UK Special Forces, I was their air commander in Afghanistan for a period of time. So quite a broad mix. It enables me to bring a fair amount of experience and a, and a good operational outlook to DEA. So we can get a bigger antenna and we may be asking therefore for some more bandwidth if that's Our right. personnel here at DEA have a very broad and differing set of backgrounds. Uh, some have come from the military and some have come from the civilian sector and there's pretty much nothing that we haven't done when it comes to aviation. They've been involved in ground operations, air traffic control. We have individuals from the British Army, from the Royal Navy, from the Royal Air Force. And uh, as some little examples, we've got people that have been members of the Royal Air Force aerobatic team, the Red Arrows. We have uh, one of our uh, civilian pilots has been the UK number one unlimited aerobatic champion for over a decade, and he's in the world top five. So we're very lucky with our team that we've put together. I think it's fair to say, to most of us, the initials ISR probably mean very little. So let me explain what ISR is. In short, Intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance are just methods of obtaining information. The information, in this case, stills and or moving images, is then passed onto the intelligence personnel for analysis. With DEA, their intelligence personnel is usually their customer. Customers such as the European Border and Coast Guard Agency, also known as Frontex, and Aerial Mapping Surveyors Ordnance Survey. And the quality of that information can determine the success of the mission, the safety of the crew, and impact the final decision the customer makes on what to do next. So when DEA came to work with SES, it was essential we provided an as close to real-time feed at the highest quality possible. A baseline that Andre De Brito, SES sales manager, was able to offer them. Real-time connectivity is important for beyond line of sight missions because it unleashes the range that these aircraft have. So satellite, specifically SCS, plays a major role in allowing these companies to go global. In early 2019, when DA Aviation searched out SCS, they were looking for a solution that could improve their data quality and their connectivity quality. The typical ISR customer is probably looking for somewhere anywhere between half a megabit up to 100 megabits a second, and that's something that at SES we're able to provide with geo and meo capacities. So, let's stay with the idea of ISR, as well as some of the other ways DEA uses SES satellite coverage. John and Dickey can explain for us. We cover a broad range of roles under the umbrella of intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance. Uh, in some areas, that may be uh, imaging, um, a static 
uh, area, such as for ordnance survey or for a company that wishes to understand the dynamics around a wind farm, for instance, or even arable to allow agencies to understand how crops are, are um, progressing in any one area or any one time of the year. It, it's been quite surprising to me just how much demand there is to that. So, uh, Lynn, we were looking at the weather for the ISR missions. Um, your report was no operational impact. Any updates since you checked? Aviation is um, a really interesting business. It's um, fraught with pressures that you, I guess, get used to, but you always have them and they're, they're always around. So, firstly, it's unforgiving and um, it can be incredibly dangerous incredibly quickly. So you need to make sure you have uh, fantastic processes and um, compliance functions that are all in place, all of the time, constantly monitoring. And then we'll do a turret uh, changeover. That's planned for first thing uh, this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, I beg your pardon, uh, once Graham... So most people are familiar with commercial aviation. They'll interact when they're going on holiday, uh, flying from point A to point B. Uh, so we uh, need to deliver those same standards whilst the aeroplane needs to be working, as it would when it's carrying passengers, you then have a whole bunch of sensors that are on board. So there might be your electro-optical and infrared cameras, there might be your radars, there'll be your beyond line of sight satellite links, there might be some signals intelligence for you know, location functions, and you need to combine all of that to be able to locate and find. And, um, and once you find, you then start generating some information. Uh, and that's where it leads to the results of, of what you find. And if it's in a search and rescue sense, you can end up um, having to be very time critical. And uh, if people's lives are in peril, then you'll need to make sure that everything is working all of the time. Uh, you can't have suddenly have something fail because if you do, the end results can be catastrophic. But what difference does near real-time imagery really make? And why is that something that DEA's customers rely upon? I think uh, there's a small, subtle, and in our world, indistinct difference between near real-time and real-time. You know, real-time is as observed by the naked human eye. And, and if you were needing to make decisions, as you might be in the military environment, um, where milliseconds can make a difference, then there is importance in making that distinction. In our environment where you're providing information for a customer to assess and make a more considered decision, then the fact that there's a few microseconds or even a few seconds of delay is immaterial. Um, and to all intents and purposes, what we provide is real-time information as a situation unfolds in real life. In part two of this mini-series, we'll find out more from John, Dickie, and the DEA team about the types of companies they work with and what's required of them. But we have many competitors in the satellite industry, so I wanted to find out why work with SES. Something I'll let John and Dickie explain. 
There are a huge number of satellite providers, as I'm sure everyone is aware, and so we um, spoke to most of them and we were particularly impressed by SES. What set them aside? Well, it's, it's the flexibility they showed, their speed of response, and their ability to uh, be prepared to support where we needed to go. In any endeavour like ours, where we are servicing the needs of a customer 24-7, then we really need to find partners like SES who are willing and able to support us on an equally agile and flexible footing. We're delighted in SES to have a partner that, that is willing to go the extra mile to help us uh, and, and has that commitment to finding solutions rather than providing a stock answer. That's the sort of thing we, we greatly value. In our role, it's all about teamwork. Uh, no one individual, no one part of the company, and indeed no one company or organisation can do it all on their own. Next time on Satellite Stories, we meet the wider team on site at Redford Airport. So the King Air 350 behind me is just completing its scheduled maintenance. We're installing the uh, sensors that are required to carry out our tasking. From a safety perspective, it gives me a lot of peace of mind. When the crew are hundreds of miles away from land, there's an eye watching over them. And we'll look ahead of what's next for the future of ISR, beyond Europe and beyond manned platforms. You never know on any given day the challenges you'll be facing. If you want something lively that keeps you on your toes, this is the environment you want to be in. Subscribe or follow this podcast so you're notified the moment our next episode is live. And for more about what we do, visit SES.com. <laughs>